This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top tier lineup. With Leap Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, you are listening to the Blue Monday podcast. This is a three times weekly audio show looking into the exciting happenings of Ipswich Town Football Club. My name is Benjamin Bloom and I'll be here each and every Friday. For, no, it's not going to be on a Friday. It's a special one. Each and every Tuesday on the odd Tuesday for the Blue Monday preview show with a special guest to get their insider view on the next opponents for Ipswich Town. So, yes, that intro was completely hackneyed because, sorry there was no preview show on Friday, but this is a special bonus one, a midweek preview show which we've had in the work so ahead of the Sunderland game please welcome uh, representing Sunderland and the Roker Report podcast thank you Graham welcome hey mate you alright you good I'm good yeah you're, you're probably incredibly depressed and yes. are you going to be tell me <laughs> are you going to be better or worse than the Bolton fan we had on last week uh, worse your I expectations think. are higher aren't they <laughs> Not not that much higher, but, you know, Sunderland have an ability to make your expectations, no matter how low they may be, come down just a little bit below that. So, <laughs> Okay, so another yeah. Samaritans podcast for everybody. But no, we'll, we'll, yeah. have, we'll have some fun, um, Graham. Where can our listeners um, sample your work um, in print and on podcasts, um, especially this week, given it's Ipswich? Yeah, of course. Um, so Rock Report is online. That's where kind of our main source is, truth be told. Um, I believe it's, and this is terrible, I should know this, but I believe it's just rockerreport.com. Uh, yes, it is. It's rockerreport.com. Um, we are effectively a blog site, but we've, if I don't mind saying so myself, got some really talented writers on there that have been doing stuff for a long, long time. Um, we do a little bit on tactics. We do opinion pieces. Um, rockerreport.com like sample it for yourself um, If not, it's nothing if but passionate uh, you've got a lot of differing opinions because um, you can never speak for a fan base so we don't always get agreements from certain sides but um, in the podcast we do one every Sunday which I've done today um, actually a little bit earlier on so my second podcast of the day my second level of de- uh, second bout of depression should I say <laughs> <laughs> to get out um, and that's available on iTunes. That's the the Roker Rapport. So rather than Rapport, it's Rapport. They'll play on words there. 
Um, but yeah, you can you can sample that on Facebook. Uh, you can follow us at Rocker Report, which is on Twitter as well. Um, there's not a great deal going on that's fun with our club, but thankfully, you know, Sunderland fans have all had a sense of humour, so. <laughs> The Twitter page is quite fun at the best of times. And for all those people I've directed to Acast, uh, you can get the Roker Report through Acast as well. Yes, that's, so yeah, that's, that's true. That's where yeah. I get it. Um, cool. Right before we go into um, current matters, what is your what's your vintage? When did you when did you start out, and what sold it for you? It was 1993-94 season. Uh, we played Wolves at home. We got beat two 0 uh, so I'm not too sure if that sold it to me, but um, Roker, it was Roker Park. I would have been in '93. Uh, well, I was born in '86, so I was young. I was really, really young. Um, and I just remember the kind of togetherness of people following one team. We all grown together. We all kind of cheered together, although there wasn't that much cheering at that point. And I think um, I, I was quite lucky, I suppose, in a sense that when you're from the northeast like football is you know whether it's newcastle or whether it's Sunderland, the football's kind of in your blood essentially and i think my dad obviously my dad's mood depended on how Sunderland were doing um so i think i picked up on that and then when i went to the game roker park was amazing i mean it was it wasn't what did, what did roker its, park hold, I, graham it was uh twenty thousand, i yeah, think because and it was all terraces as well wasn't it yeah, it was amazing. It was the best. I used to sit in the four-wheel end on the uh, on the little bars once um, when I was really, really young. I used to love it, but I ended up going towards the the clock stand. But I think I, w- I was quite lucky in the sense that we were we were bad at that point, kind of like mid-table Division One as it was. But within two or three seasons, Peter Reid took charge, and I'm thinking I mean, the rest Steve Agnew, Paul Bracewell. Would that be about right? Yep, Steve yeah. Agnew. Yeah, yeah, you were totally right. It was ju- just after. Uh, 93 was kind of like Don Goodman, Phil Gray, Gary Hours, Gordon Armstrong. But then like a year later, it was like, you know, the players you mentioned there, Paul Bracewell. Uh, well, Brace- Bracewell's been in and out of our club like four or five times, um, both as a player and as a, a backroom staff. But yeah, Steve Agnew was one of my favourites as a kid. Yeah, had uh, terrible teeth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just out of interest, how did you react to the stadium move then? Uh, it was at the time I, I remember it really, really well. Um, I think it had to happen, and I think my my favourite memories of a Sunderland of being a Sunderland fan is those first couple of seasons in the stadium. It was it felt like a new dawn. It felt like a fortress. Um, I think everyone was sceptical, but I was probably quite lucky that I'd only had like four seasons or so at Rocker Park, sorry, and then getting into the stadium of light was. I mean, it's not the same now, um, and I don't know if you've been, but in I, the past, I went when it was frank, uh, frankly terrifying. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it was amazing when it first started. I mean, in the championship, well, it, Division One, as it was never, then, never lost there, did you? No, we just didn't lose. It was a total fortress, and I mean, any team would come, and it got to a point where I remember playing Manchester United a few seasons after we. It was the season after we got promoted, and we were third off top, and. I remember just not even doubting that we'd beat them. It was a draw, but we were 2-0 up in 20 minutes. And it, it were 12 minutes, I think. And they pulled it back. But the stadium, like, I, I wish 
I wish it could go back to that. I don't think it ever will. But the first few seasons, um, I think the quality of players we had, the atmosphere we had, we were riding on like the crest of a wave. And there was a big change and shift. Peter Reid had changed the mindset of what Sunderland fans had come to expect. And it, it seems like a million, million miles away. Like a year, it feels like, you know, a, a different world compared to where we are now, to be honest. But the stadium move, yeah, it, it was, I grew up, seeing big stadiums sort of see my team have a big stadium was it was kind of proud it was nice no it just fascinates me because i i can't imagine ipswich not playing at portman road but um so yeah. we know what we normally do is we go over last season's meetings but obviously you were billy big bollocks in the premier league weren't you so um so <laughs> allegedly <laughs> yeah, this might turn a little bit dark now and you're allowed to mention martin bain and ellis short um, yeah. so how yeah. is it that Sunderland have ended up um, in the championship and how how long does this need to, to go back to, um, do, do you know what I'm saying? To, yeah, to, when did When did this drop down really start? Um, there was a period of time. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of it could have been fixed along the way at, at this point. So I'm, I'm taking you back quite far. Um, there's many points in this road where it could have been fixed, I think, but... We were about sixth off top um, under Steve Bruce uh, going into sort of January time. And Darren Bent moved to oh, Aston Villa for Darren 24 Bent million. Darren Bent indeed, hey? For favourite of ours. Uh, Darren Bent indeed. Not one of mine. Um, <laughs> used you. to be, but um, d- not a big fan of the guy. I think we've made a lot um, of money in sell-on fees from Darren Bent over the years. So. Certainly off us. Yeah, certainly off us. Um, but he... He left, uh, he went to Aston Villa, who at the time were like 15th, and they were on that kind of downward trajectory that they're still sort of on and just getting out of. Um, And we never really replaced him. Um, We went on a a horrific, typical Steve Bruce run uh, towards the end of the season. But when we got into the summer, we sold Henderson um, for big money. We still had the Darren Bent money. Asimov Jan went as well um, to... Saudi Arabia, I think. No, it was Qatar. Qatar, I remember, yeah. Um, And we kind of replaced it with substandard players like, um, and I mean, I I love the guy because full of effort, but players like Seb Larson were just not in the same quality as Jordan Henderson, Craig Gardner, like those sort of players came in and we had a terrible start of the season. Then Martin O'Neill came in um, and we had a great three months and then it all turned to shit. And effectively... We kind of spent big on players like he who shall not be named and uh, Stephen Fletcher, players along sort of that line, um, who didn't really produce for the money that was being spent. And if you look back at the history of the players that we'd signed and how much money we made back on them, I think there was a period where there was 30 plus players and we only made money back on three of them, um, which is outstandingly bad business and it just shows you how short-sighted the whole the whole thing was and we went through a succession of sacking managers De Canio uh Poyet and none of it seemed to work but what you find was happening with that was season upon season you had a new manager who would just kind of had like the crest of a wave by helping us stay up De Canio had it Advocar had it Poyet had it all had this crazy end to a season uh where we'd stay up miraculously and win like seven games or whatever towards the end of the season. But essentially, when it comes into the season, they they start poorly again. 
then they get sacked and then a new manager would come in perform the miracle but the problem that you had is you have a mismatch of players that have been signed by De Canio, O'Neill, um, Poyet, uh, Advocar. So you had people like German Lenz at one point, for example, thirteen million pounds, and he was there for three months. And, and Advocar resigned. Allardyce came in, didn't want him. And I mean, Allardyce, God, that's it feels like a million miles ago that, but million years ago, sorry. But there was only really Allardyce that managed to fix it actually. And then the England job came along, and we just went to shit again. And I think. The problem we had was uh, was basically we, we had so many players on high wages that the managers wanted rid of so they could bring their own men in, but they'd be gone within like six months to a year. So we were just hemorrhaging money. And suddenly the manager, the, the owner, sorry, reins it in and says, well, no, we, we can't be doing that anymore. I want to do it this way and that way, the other way. And you get David Moyes who comes in and just, totally drains the life out of the entire football club um there's so many reasons i i would need a good three or so hours to kind of go through why everything had gone wrong but essentially it all culminated in sort of last season where we just didn't have any money the money we had we spent on absolute rubbish um we we spend a lot we spent a lot of our money on like in installments as well. So we're still paying for like Fabio Barini, Pabi Diabogi. Like we're still playing for players that like we can't even sell. Like, and even this season, that, that's the thing. scarily like Leeds. Do you remember when they were playing, yeah. still paying for Robbie Fowler and Nick Barmby yeah. years, years after Michael Dubry and um, yeah. I'm trying to think who the other ones were, you know. You had Rio Ferdinand, stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, they got money back for him, but there was so many and it is i mean it's it's total mismanagement and i think the problem you have is you've got you've got a businessman who was in charge of the club trying to i mean to to put the mismanagement of of sunland into a perspective um i mentioned well i didn't mention him before but i'll mention it the whole adam johnson situation you look at that now our ceo at that time margaret byrne allegedly knew about the majority of what was in the case and, and what he'd said had happened. And she allowed him to continue playing for Sunderland. Total disrespect of the fans for doing that, first and foremost. But second of all, that is just, that's the mismanagement of the, that you've got in the club. You've got someone who just doesn't understand football from the top and he hires people who don't understand football. And now you've got Martin Bain, who's just effectively trying to as far as I can see, strip the club of all of its assets. And then when it's in a, a position where it can be sold at a loss, then I'm sure Ella Short will walk. But um, hopefully, hopefully he goes a bit sooner than that. So the only common denominator through all of this is, is Short. Yes, this is where you're, this is where yeah. the blame goes. Yes. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I don't, I don't think intentionally he started it to make a mess of it. I don't think he's a bad person necessarily i think um he made a lot of mistakes and quite possibly he was too stubborn to stop making those mistakes and now he's kind of just got bored with it and realized how much of a mess he's made of the whole thing and he's just trying to claw everything back but the the club's dead right now like it's really dead like it's it's lost everything that it was ever about wow um so you come down eventually and I kind yep. of looked at it, and I listened to your podcast before the start of the season. And you, yep. you're, you're looking at it, and it's like, okay, well, Grayson has 
been a manager for a long, long, long time. It's far away from, say, Di Canio or Poyet or something. Um, and he managed in this league last season. So that made sense. That made sense to me. Um, Vaughan McGeady grabbing. Well, that's not, you know, Dilabodji uh, mm. or, you know, Larson or whatever. They're championship yeah. players. Um, and they'd cleared out some of the high earners and got good money for the goalie. I must admit, I thought you'd end up getting our goalie, but obviously they went in a bit lower and they went for steel from um, Blackburn. From Blackburn, I yeah. actually thought when it was all set up, I thought, oh, this looks this looks quite quite a good quite a good cleanse, and I thought they're kind of doing the right thing. Did you did you feel that before a ball was kicked? Um, I think the the hopes and the expectations that we had, I don't think anyone looked at promotion. I think we wanted a, a season of um, solidifying ourselves and just kind of stopping the rot of losing all the time. I mean, obviously that hasn't happened, but I think the appointment of Grayson was, I wasn't enthused by it, but when it happened, I was kind of like, I could make sense of it. Um I, I thought, you know, he's a he's a mid-table manager that's worked on a budget. He knows the division. He knows what it's like to go to Ipswich on a Tuesday night, for example. He'll he'll understand what the situation is. But I think the more the season's gone on in this first quarter, the more I've sort of realised it's not always what what you need at Sunderland is you need someone who who will fire you up. If you look at which managers have been successful at Sunderland throughout my lifetime. You've got managers with character, with attitude almost, and, and with almost a bit of a swagger, Peter Reid, Sam Allardyce, um, you know, to name but two of the, the successful managers that we've had. Even Mick McCarthy to an extent, although he had a really poor, poor premiership season, he got a rank average side up to the premiership. And I mean, super, like really rank average. Um, but like, I just feel Grayson doesn't have that. He might have the know-how, although tactically he's been a little bit disappointing. Although we're only 10 or so games into the season, I'm willing to see that change. The, the problem I've got at the moment is I think he's... Sunderland have so many deep-rooted problems, like from the top all the way down, the fan base, the, the apathy that it feels, the depression that... Sunderland, the kind of it just feels like we're sleepwalking towards another relegation. If, if I'm honest, but if you look at um, Grayson, I, I don't know if knowing the division and working on a budget is enough to resurrect Sunderland right now. I think you need someone with bottle and and, and big big bollocks. You need someone with big bollocks, like because mm. it's a huge job. And I, I think I think the job's too big for him. But I didn't think that originally. Yeah, I, I must confess my. My thing about Grayson, where I found him most impressive, I remember, I think it was the season before last, Preston got up and they had a bad run. And I just remember him, like, shutting up shop and they didn't concede a goal for about six games or something. And it's kind of in the adversity, he, you know, he went from bottom up and... And he did kind of well. So in that respect, he's kind of he's kind of got that good quality. I was just when when I saw it, I was because yeah. you know we've had all this stuff with McCarthy last year, and there's been managers and stuff linked. And if you take the um, the Cowley guys at at Lincoln, who everyone was yeah. so impressed with last year, you'd think something like Sunderland would swallow them up completely. You know, with their you know even though they're bright young things or whatever, and. You just yeah. kind of look at it and you think, oh, Grayson's got broad enough shoulders to do it. But from what you're saying, 
the only guy who actually had broad enough shoulders to do it ended up being the England manager. So, you know, yeah, a very, very high true. caliber manager. Yeah, I mean, it, Allardyce, Allardyce, Allardyce played for the club, so Allardyce knew what he was coming into. Allardyce has, he's almost got an arrogance about himself. Oh, and he's ma- got, massively, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. But he, you know what, we, we, we don't love arrogance, that's not the right word, but we love someone who's got a bit of character, who is, is a bloke. Like, he's a bloke that would get that area. He understood it. He, he also knows how to build a team. We, we've gone through so many different avenues, like the young manager in Poyet, the, the vitriolic kind of, like, mentalist in Paolo Di Canio. <laughs> um, I mean, Roy Keane was another very successful no, manager for us. Um, stop now, stop. I, I, I loved Roy Keane for something. I, 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 funnily enough, when the season started... I would say the clamour for, I mean, football fans always go back into, oh, remember when this was amazing and, and remember that period and la, la, la. But there was a lot of people wanted Roy Keane. There was a big clamour for Roy Keane. And Roy Keane's the kind of person that gets a club like Sunderland. It may not have got Ipswich or understood what Ipswich was about, but you need someone like Roy Keane, Samuel Allais, Peter Reid, that kind of attitude. Kind of, the canio kind of had the right passion. He was just absolutely mental. If he was not mental, maybe De Canio might have worked as well, but um, you need someone like that. And Grayson is just a bit unassuming. He's not exactly inspiring. When he comes in, the most positive thing you can say is, well, he knows the championship. And with all due respect to the championship itself and our position in the championship, on the face of it, we're a premiership club in every way, shape, size and form. Hmm. Interesting, very, very interesting. I just find the championship like the most unique kind of shitstorm oh, yeah. of yeah of loads and yeah. loads of games. Some players who are pretty good, but all have one key weakness, so they're not quite yeah. you know top level. It's a very unique thing. Um, so listen, the first actual four games was good. So you drew it home to Derby on the TV, and you know Derby spend lots of money. Um, you beat yep. Berry in the League Cup. Um, great, yep. great win away at Norwich, who with their oh, terrific win, yeah. yeah. Um, and a draw away at Sheffield Wednesday again. There, so that's uh, unbeaten against three of the wealthier, bigger teams. You you must have been happy with the start. Yeah, it was kind of um, it was kind of uh, probably slightly better than we hoped because our first five games looked quite tough. You had uh, like Derby, Norwich, uh, Sheffield, uh, Leeds, and then Barnsley away. Um, and Barnsley, you know, they're, they're, they're someone you, you look at that as the easier game, but they still did quite well last year, Barnsley. But, and we started well against Derby. We were probably quite unlucky to go 1 0 down. Um, we pulled it back, showed a lot of fight and desire. And like the fans, it was a good, that was a good game. Like it, it felt like, something was coming back, like we got rid of the time wasters and stuff like that. And then we went to Norwich and, and battered Norwich, who I, I tipped to win the league, which I'm probably going to be wrong with completely. Um, <laughs> I hope so. Uh, yeah, yeah, for, for you anyway, yeah, for sure. Um, but um, then we then we went to Chef Wed and performed really well. Um, but the second half, we sat back a little bit too much. But everyone kind of attested when, you know, like – these players are not used to playing that many games in the championship and this often maybe they were tired. It's still a draw at Chef Wed. That's a good result. And then Leeds came to the stadium a lot and, you know, it was a shock to get beat because it's kind of like that reality hit of being in the premiership for 10 years. Then 
like a championship team come and do you at home. It, it's always going to be a shock, but everyone kind of went, well, you know, like Leeds are probably going to be there, they're about, and Leeds were genuinely quite impressive. But I think what our big problem is, is we can't stop conceding goals. Defensively, we're terrible. Um, if we make a mistake, it gets punished. But the problem we have as well is we're all right-ish. Up, like, well, we're not all right-ish up top. We're not bad in midfield. We've got McManaman. We've got uh, Johnny Williams, who's been really impressive so far. Um, and you've got, uh, you only got Duncan Watmore to come back as well. But the problem we have is right up the top of the field, you can create as many chances as you want. You've got absolutely nobody to put that in the back of the net. So you're just like, you're just sitting there waiting to concede because the defense is terrible. We don't create enough chances anyway. And when we do, we've got no one to put it in the back of the net. And Grayson came out and said he didn't feel he needed a striker. It's a mental statement. Absolutely crazy. I mean, James Vaughan's crap. <laughs> like, um, So I think where you guys, probably, where it's turned is, like you said, 3-0 away at Barnsley, um, who, you know, you'd expect Sunderland to just to swallow up. Sheffield United yeah. at home, that's a team, you're two divisions apart from them, you lose, and you lose at home to Forest, and now it's all of a sudden, you'd, you'd have expected points in all of those games, really, wouldn't you? Yeah, um, and I think the, the problem you have now as well is that the, the statistics all come popping up. I mean, we, we haven't won at the Stadium of Light since December the 17th, 2016. So to put that into perspective... I travel, I mean, I, I live in Glasgow and I'm home and away. Um, well, away when I can, but I'm, I'm a season ticket holder and I haven't seen Sunderland win in almost 11 months. Um, wow. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty worrying. And I think um, when it comes to playing at home, they just, they, they can't win. But I think the, the evidence is there at the moment. I mean, we, we haven't got anyone in midfield that, can really create, although that seems to be changing with Williams and McManaman, which have both been quite impressive so far. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN, giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wesburn's running down the wing. NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. 
If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash blue monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process. Uh, um, but you've, James Vaughan's like one in 10 and Graben's injured with a hamstring injury for a few months, and uh, oh, sorry, a few weeks. And then literally just before Graben uh, got injured, he came out and said, I don't feel like I need a, a centre-forward. I mean, it's, it's obvious we need a centre-forward. Like, at the start of the summer, we lost to Fo, uh, We lost Barini. Like, we, uh, Nietzsche B went on a free transfer. And when we brought in James Vaughan, everyone, well, you know, you need, like, about three or four strikers in, in the championship. If Vaughan's third or fourth choice come on to make a nuisance of himself, fair enough. I think... If they'd said he was going to be the number nine in the first choice, I think we would have panicked then. When it got to the end of the transfer window and he said, I don't feel like I need a striker. Uh, I don't know if he's just trying to save face for Ellis Short and Martin Bain not giving him any money to sign a striker, but there's just nothing up top. And, and we don't create loads. We create a little bit more since Williams and McManaman came in, but we don't create a lot. And we're just a calamity at the back. I don't think we've kept a clean sheet this season. I oh, know we did a Berry, but I mean, with all due respect to Berry, it's, it's Berry. You'd expect to. Wow. Okay. So the recent three games: a one-one draw at Hull. They can't seem to get going. A three-nil loss at Everton in the League Cup. Well, that's no shame. Two-one uh, at home to Cardiff uh, yesterday. We're recording on Sunday night. So now it goes from that good kind of first four to six defeats in eight, and only yeah. one league win. All season, are you, you you've identified a horrible, um, a horrible tale of not scoring at one end and letting loads in at the other. Which sounds, I've written down here what is happening, but that seems yeah. like a seems like a fairly potent um, losing potion, doesn't it? Yeah, you've got a you've got a fan base that obviously, um, I mean, last season wasn't easy, and then everyone kind of like rolled up their sleeves and went, you know, like bugger it, let's have a go at this championship. Um, you know, it might get a bit of, we might get some of the younger boys coming through. It, at least we'll not be near the bottom, hopefully. You know, worst case scenario, we might be lower mid table, but a couple of defeats, and I mean, four defeats at home, I think it is on the trot now, and, and obvious glaring problems that the manager's telling you is not a problem. You start asking questions, and it doesn't take long at a club like Sunland to kind of have that apathy again. Like, we're so easy to stoke up. Like we're great to play for. Like the old, like uh, Kevin Phillips said it. It's the best place to play your football when things are going well. I've seen it at uh, Graham. I seen it at Leeds yesterday. They're top of the yeah. league. There was thirty four thousand there, and there's just kind of something in the air in these big cities when, you know, yeah, when, when that's happening. Totally, hundred percent. And 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 Sunderland's, Sunderland's the best place to play because people like Kevin Phillips, Niall Quinn, Kevin Ball. They'll never have to buy it like a, a pint in Sunderland again ever at any point. But on the flip side, if you're disrespectful towards a club, if you don't care, and if you're playing poorly, you want to just probably stay in the house because you're going to get shit when you go in the street. And it's mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's no one would want that kind of like uh, their personal life invaded like that. But that's part and parcel playing for Sunderland. Um, you have to understand that. You know, you can be a hero or villain quite easily and it doesn't take much for that to happen. I mean, score against Newcastle, you're a hero. Like, 
scoring a derby game, scoring a cup final, you're a hero. You'll never be forgotten about. But if you are part of a side that, I mean, and I mean Sunderland at the same time, it's not like we've had a really good time of it at any point. I mean, I've seen us go down with 15 points from the Premiership. Then I've seen it at, well, 19 points, which was a record at the time. Then 15 points, we beat our own record. Um, I've seen a, a lot of rubbish at Sunderland, and I think we actually are quite patient, but at the same time, because of the past five seasons, I think when things start turning and you get two or three defeats at home, we just don't accept that. And, and maybe that's a good thing, but it doesn't really help matters at the moment because it, it just feels like poisonous, like the whole way through. We know we're being mismanaged. We know the board doesn't really care or they've got it wrong and have stopped caring. We know the guy that we got in charge is kind of probably, well, I, I'm not speaking for everyone here, but my, my opinion is he's, he's not he's not big enough for the club and maybe that's arrogant and maybe that's the 10 years in the premiership. But I think we, we just all know Sunderland is much more than what it's showing at the moment. We feel a little bit like a joke. We feel like the rest of the country is probably laughing at us. Wow. Um, in some ways is Ipswich on a Tuesday night, get away from the home defeats, you know, midweek game. So you don't have the fu- whole fury of the whole weekend around it. Is it kind of a good game for you to have? Probably, because um, I think no one expects us to get anything in any game at the moment. Um, We're probably slightly better on the counter-attack, and we've probably got our better players back fit for the game on Tuesday. Um, But I I, I don't ever have good memories of Ipswich on a Tuesday night. I think my worst memory, which is weird considering how bad something had been, but the most sad or the saddest I've ever been after a match was, I think it was 98 when he beat us 2-0. 2-0. Matt Matt Holland and Alex Maffey. Alex Maffey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And that stopped stopped you um, making the top two and then you lost in the playoffs to Charlton, yeah? We did, yeah. Good wow. time to be a Sunderland fan in terms of quality of football, but I always, always disliked Ipswich for that, I'll be honest. And the 5-0 on New Year's Day, I remember that quite well. Oh, Fanidi so, yeah. George, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, did a, you did 4-1 in the New Year as well, uh, I remember. We did. I remember Marcus Stewart's, that would have been 2000, 2000. That was, that was our amazing season. But Yeah, yeah I, I always thought that you kind of, um, with that one, because we kind of put a big spanner in the works then. And I remember you coming back next September and doing us 2-0, uh, uh, Phillips and... Uh, Phillips and John Mullen. John Mullen, great show. Yeah. Um, scored and you went on and got a whole ton of points and finished first. Oh, it's one of those ones. We actually <laughs> that was a good season. We actually did you a favour because you had a whole nother season getting really, really good. And there's no way you would have done your season in the Premier League if you hadn't had the extra season. No, you know, the one where Phillips right. scored a million goals. So basically, you need to thank Ipswich for that. <laughs> for that I, I, can look, I, can, I can look back. I can look back with, uh, with happiness now. But um, at the time, as a, I think I would have been 98, I would have been 12. Oh, yeah, broke, broke, broke my heart, that did. Oh, um, sorry. No, it's fine. It's it fine. Makes... I remember David Johnson being up front with Alex Matthew, but it oh, was Ipswich had a good side then, though. Oh, we, was... we just lost in the playoffs every year, though. Yeah, so, yeah. Because you had Kieran Dyer, Matty Holland in the middle. Uh, it was before the kind of tightest Bramble years. God. It was, yeah. Jeez. It was. <laughs> Another one yeah. played for both. Good. Um, listen. Um, so going yeah. into Tuesday's game, um, can you kind of smarten me up? Who who are we expecting mm-hmm. to line up for Sunderland and? Have you got a settled system and a settled team that you can kind of um, smarten us up with? God, no. Um, but I could probably guess who's going to yeah, play. Yeah, a good guess. 
He's been chopping and changing recently, but it'll be uh, it'll be the Dutch goalkeeper and goal writer will be in goal. He seems to have got the the number one slot. Um, right back, I'm not sure. It could be Adam Matthews or it could potentially be Billy Jones. It's been Adam Matthews recently. Your centre-half centre pairings being Kone and Wilson over the past few weeks. He might change that because Kone was horrific on Saturday, but he, he seems to keep his place. Left-back will be Oviedo, who's been OK recently. Um, and then we'll probably play with that kind of 4-5-1, 4-3-3 formation, depending on who's fit. So Catamol, as poor as he's been, will probably keep his place alongside uh, and Dong in the middle. And then if they're all fit, you'll probably have McManaman on the right. Uh, you'll have Johnny Williams as the attacking midfielder. And then you will probably have Lyndon Gooch on the left with James Vaughan up front. There's a possibility I would like to think he might spring a surprise and play Duncan Watmore, but I don't think so. I think it's too early for him. That would but be if we... Watmore's first game back, yes? Yeah, in about ten months. Yeah, oh, wow. he played for the under twenty threes today, but it's the the, the sound bites coming out from Sunderland and from Grayson is that he needs a week and a, a, a bit more time. But I, I, we need him. Uh, we definitely need him. But um, I think if McManaman and Williams are fit, he'll probably at best get on the bench. So tell me about Johnny Williams because absolute peak Ipswich would be have a guy on loan four times, never ever <laughs> see the best of him. He goes on loan to another club and then destroys us. How has he? How has he been for you? Is it, was was he was he playing on Saturday? No, he was. He had a he was ill, so I think he had a headache or something. I mean, I don't know what it was, but um, he, he's been all right. I mean, he's not been unreal. He's played like three or four games, but he's he's definitely got something. You can definitely see he's got a link in the play. He's he's small, but he doesn't seem to be weak. Um, I think. Yeah, we've talked to him quite well, quite fast, because he's quite industrious. Um, he seems to be able to pick a pass quite well, um, and he seems to be playing in that number 10 role behind Vaughan, which, you know, bless him, um, playing in front of Vaughan. But I think I think the overriding thing with Johnny Williams is how much he looks like David Vaughan. That's the <laughs> overriding thing. There's a, there's, a, there's a very poor hairline there, because he's only like 23 or 24 or something, isn't he? Yeah, he's not, he's not blessed with the best of lucks, but hopefully, <laughs> you know, his talent is all in his feet and not his face. Um, but yeah, he's been all right. He's not been we bad. Just, we wouldn't... just couldn't get him fit last season. And uh, I remember him, he got fit. He came in against Wigan and he got smashed in a tackle and he was out again. And then um, Mick was kind of, playing these very safe defensive teams and he just didn't use him towards the end of the season. I think he he fits into what we want quite well and it's quite nice to have a guy who looks like he's not frightened to have a go and he's definitely forward thinking because Grayson seems very defensive and with James Vaughan up front or Graben, you're not guaranteed a goal. Neither of them are sniffers. I mean, we've been watching Jermaine Defoe for the past three seasons and now you get to watch that shit. Like, no offence to them, but there's such a golfing class. Um, but Johnny Williams seems to be at least somebody who could create something out of nothing, which we don't really have elsewhere. I must tell you, as a 16-year championship veteran, Lewis Graben is more than good enough. For, he, he, if, if you keep him on and play in most games, he's he's a he's decent, all right. Yeah, he's a decent for the championship. He'll oh he'll, totally he'll score, he'll score goals. He's not Jermaine Defoe, obviously, but um, I think that's the problem. Yeah. I think the problem is you go from seeing one of the greatest, most lethal English goal scorers of the past twenty years 
to Lewis Graben. I mean, Graben's been all right. He's got three, but he they were all in the first two games, and now he's. I mean, he's he's far superior to James Vaughan. Far superior. You're but, not uh, keen on James Vaughan, are you, Graham? <laughs> No, no. I mean, I, I wasn't at the beginning. Yeah, you know what? He's very likable. Don't get me wrong. He's very likable. And if I could inject his enthusiasm and his effort into some of the likes of people like Lamine Coney, um, maybe he'd have a use. But I just think he's he's a League One centre forward. Yes. And um, I mean, he scored quite a lot for Berry last season. Yeah. But you're right at that at that lower level. So... How do you see it? How do you see it panning out on um, on Tuesday then? Uh, we'll get beat. Um, I think we'll probably. I think potentially we could get absolutely trashed. Um, I, I, I yeah, I have no confidence at all. Okay. Yeah, like none. Let me try and give you some confidence. So we've we've had this weird run of um, games where we kept winning at the start of the season um, and kept getting more and more and more players injured and pulling off this miraculous streak of wins. Uh, Fulham yeah. came and outpassed us and destroyed us completely, but Fulham are good. Then QPR kind of out-intensified us. And then, yeah. strangely, uh, so we beat Bolton. Bolton terrible, though, unfortunately. Uh, oh, we, we went to Leeds yesterday and we lost, and it was probably the best we've played all season. But um, under Mick, the past two years certainly we've not been a side that's put anybody to the sword um i can't we we you know i think we scored four goals i remember scoring four past barnsley in a four two but we don't yeah. often score lots unfortunately the counter-attack thing as well um mick will you, you know mick don't you he'll sit back yeah um, i know mick he'll sit like back mick. and not let you um you know not let play into that type of game so i yeah. mean we're hoping that we've got this winger on loan from Man City that he might actually get a start and we might attack you. But as you just said, you know Mick and that's, you know... Yeah, it's kind I, of... like, I, I like Mick. I like, I, I'm surprised that he's been at Ipswich that long and not... Because, I mean, maybe it's my age, but I always see Ipswich as like a side that would always push on towards playoffs and, and or potentially be in the Premiership. But um, And with Mick McCarthy, like... He's a bit like a different character, but he's a, he's got the knack of getting teams promoted. A bit like Warnock, like yeah, not the most fashionable, I, but I think up until about well, basically until Evans came, up until midway Roy Keane era, that was true. Yeah. You know, we were uh, we were our rank was between fifteenth and thirtieth in the in the country, I guess. Yeah. but it's kind of the last four or five years, and it's not. All mixed fault, but some. I mean, you get a big, you get a big split between Ipswich fans on this. But some of it's mixed fault, a lot of it's uh, the ownership's fault. But um, you're totally right. It's dropped down to they're now um, well bottom half, so 22nd to 34th yeah. in the country is now their rank. And hopefully this season's going to be the one where it's back up into the top half and and challenge. Well, you're. Yeah. You're seventh, right? You're seventh up top. Oh, we've done... It's been an amazing, amazing start. The strange thing, though, is we haven't had a fit first-team side. Hughes, who we signed um, for good money, hasn't kicked a ball yet. And then all our three first-choice centre-halves all went all went by the wayside. So, um, 
Yeah. What's happened to Martin Waghorn? I actually actually went to the same junior school with oh, wow. Martin Waghorn. Um, so there you go. <laughs> there's, there's so many. I'm, I'm thinking Marcus Stewart, Mick McCarthy, Roy Keane. Um, you can probably Titus know Bramble. Titus Bramble, Carlos Edwards. Um, uh, oh, probably, Carlos Edwards. I love Carlos Edwards. There's probably people yelling at the yelling at their iPhone now yeah. as they're listening to this. But um, I'm just no, thinking of Carlos Edwards now. <laughs> Waghorn, we love Carlos. <laughs> yeah, Waghorn has been really weird because he came in. Um, played behind the front two for 45 minutes against Lute, and then he played right midfield um, for 45 minutes mm. against Barnsley, scored. He got played there again because of injuries and scored two against Millwall. Then he scored again from the same position against Brentford. And then it's kind of been, well, it's going to be Garner and McGoldrick up front, and Waghorn's kind of going to be on the bench despite scoring four goals in his first sort of two games and it's I think yeah. I think he's gonna go with Garner and McGoldrick for most of the season. So I can see unless Waghorn gets the gig in a three five two behind the front two, I don't know if he's first choice. I mean McGoldrick will get injured probably at some at some point and Garner yeah. will get suspended. Um so there's and he's always gonna have bench time. But um yeah we'll we'll see how that we'll see how that pans out. Okay, so um a not confident Sunderland fan, a very honest, no. a very honest Sunderland fan. Yeah. Um, let's have a bit of fun though, because we've asked everyone who's come on the show um, their favourite player since they've been watching, and you don't have to just go for the, you know, your favourite player might be a, a weird left back who we've who we've never heard of. So you're um, a kind of twenty year or more than that veteran um, yeah. Sunderland fan. Um, best player since you've been, no, not best player, your favourite player since you've been watching. I'm going to give you a good answer here. I'm going to give you a really good answer, and it's an honest answer. You've got the Kevin Phillips, and you've got the Nile Quinn, you've got Jermaine Defoe. Yeah, yeah, of course, they're favourites, but my favourite player played for both of us, and I loved him, absolutely loved him, Chris Macon. Wow, Chris Macon. I love Chris Macon, solid. He was he was, he was, was kind of a cult hero, though, because he played he played in like the successful Sunderland teams of the era, and when we went... Uh, when we went up with 105 points, every single, I mean, we literally took the P that season. We were unreal. Uh, we were absolutely unbelievable. And every single member of the team, apart from the goalkeeper, had scored a goal. Like, bit part players like John Mullen had got one, Michael Gray had got some from left back, Melville, Paul Butler. Chris Macon never did. And we used to be so dominant in games that it was actually quite funny as soon as he got the ball to just shout at him, even if he was in his own box, shoot. So he got nicknamed Shoot. Um, and he kind of became a cult hero from it. Um, he never scored in that season, but it continued on, and he continued playing in a team that was successful, won at St. James's Park, um, used to back up Nicky Summerby really, really well. And we actually played Spurs on the last day of the season, and it was complete. It was an irrelevant game. We couldn't go any further than seventh. And um, we couldn't drop any further than seven. So it was kind of a pointless game. And he scored. He actually managed to score. Um, and he, like it, it was just surreal because Chris Macon never scored. But um, Chris Macon, for me, I mean, you've got Alex Ray as well. But Chris Macon, for me, was the hardworking player that was kind of likable. He would stick his boot into people. He'd kick the winger up a height. Um during a very skillful, successful team, um, he was kind of like I, I, I used to play right back at school, so not very good. But um, and Chris Macon was always our right back, and I, I used to like seeing him kick people like David Ginola. Um, 
Yeah, so I'm going to say Chris Macon. I've got a lot of time for Chris Macon. Weird answer, but there you go. No, the thing I remember about Chris Macon is um, that we signed him basically at our peak for the last, well, since Bobby Robson. That that was the yeah. best we ever were. And he'd obviously come from being a successful team. I remember him settling in really, you know, just came straight in and could just do the job. And also, I remember he could play either side fullback, but he was a complete... Yeah, he was a complete specialist fullback. You couldn't put him in any other pitch on the no. uh, place. No. He totally just learned how to go up and down, win his headers. Do you know what I mean? He was yeah. a total specialist in that. And that thing. There was all sorts of funny rumours about some um, some extracurricular activities with him. <laughs> but I don't know if you heard any of those. But we won't say. Uh, yeah. On the no, we have. I've on, heard, okay, I've heard yeah. many many of them. Yeah. Um, yeah certain tv presenters yeah mm-hmm. should we stop we'll we'll stop there shall we but um yeah so no he was, he was an interesting one where did he go after yes. i can't think where he went after chris megan after he, Ipswich, uh... i'm sure again someone's shouting at the um yeah i don't think he did i don't think he did much after Ipswich because we we signed him for like five hundred thousand. from marseille um, yes marseille wow. yeah that's right yeah got him from marseille he went from oldham to marseille Oh, Graham, we used to have a game. Sorry to interrupt. We used to have a game called yeah. the CV game on here, and Chris Macon was oh. on there purely for the yeah. Marseille curveball. The but... Marseille link, yeah, it's a total curveball because he, he was solid and typically Eng- like a typically English fullback, a British fullback. Sorry, um, I can't imagine him ever playing for Marseille. I'm sure that was a myth. Maybe that maybe that <laughs> didn't actually happen. He just said he did. But wow. there you go. Well, I hope. Um, I hope it starts um, improving either off the pitch or on the pitch and whatever happens, happens for the best up, up there because it's a bit yeah. sad to see the, um, you know, like you say, I remember I remember going when it was, I remember you beating us 2-0 and Niall, no, it was 2-1 I think. Niall Quinn scored scored two quick goals and it was just... Matt de- Holland? Yeah, he scored actually belted, didn't he? Yeah. It was just yeah. deafeningly loud in there and, you know, just it was a, a good place to, to kind of watch watch football yeah. so um general expectations for the season uh you know what two or three wins can change the perspective of every football fan but as we're speaking in real time and we're absolutely shocking i think we'll have a second successive relegation oh my god wow yeah okay i think i think honestly that i mean i'm i'm a, I'm, I'm actually a, gla- a glass half full rather than glass half empty but you know a spade's a spade I guess to use a another turn of phrase um I I, I just don't see where we're going to get wins from but you know like every football fan knows this if you win two or three games things change well and especially in this division as I always say you can lose a hell of a lot of games and still have a good a good season in championship okay um Graham thank you so much for coming on where can we find you on Twitter on Twitter so I've got a bit of a weird Twitter um is it a, a tag? Yeah, it's uh, a tag. handle, I think. Um, handle, that's it. There we go. Um, it's Asylum Doors, as in the Joy Division song, which okay. I'm sure is a good thing. Um, but yeah, I just talk a, a load of, of shit now and again, and mainly about Sunland or, or Bjork. That's pretty much all I speak about. Oh. So there you go. Bjork, indeed. Um, yeah, if you like either, and I suppose I'll be quite interested. And if you don't, then I suppose I'm probably horrendously no, boring. Well, I, so. like, I like <laughs> Herman Horidesen, who's probably the other most famous yeah. Icelandic person. Icelandic. In the world, Indeed. so there you go. Um, and it's Roker Report on the um, on the podcast, and you're probably going to speak about this Ipswich game next Sunday if people want to, Ipswich fans want to download and listen to. 
Yeah, we'll probably you. cover that. We'll probably cover the Ipswich game, and I think um, we'll probably also cover the the Preston game. I think. Oh, yeah, the, we'll, the we'll Simon cover Grayson, Aidan McGeady derby, yeah. yes. Yeah, indeed, which we'll lose probably, but there you go. <laughs> God, stop it. Um, right, so um, if you've listened this far, you'll know that we are a three times weekly podcast, so you can subscribe on Acast or iTunes to get your fix. I am at Benjamin Bloom on Twitter and Benjamin Bloom on YouTube for match reviews, facebook.com slash itfc. And if you want to support the podcast, grab a T-shirt if you look in the Twitter bio you can do it there graham we let all of our guests have the last word so away you go oh geez um i hope you get stuffed on tuesday (laughs) not the nicest of ending but i'm being honest there you go graham thank you so much for coming (laughs) anytime my man i enjoyed myself It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.